Hi, and welcome to Rule of Carnage. Uh, my name is Glenn Ford. I'm a games designer and developer, uh, having worked with uh, the chap I'm about to introduce in a second on games like Gas Sands and the Billion Suns. And that chap is Mike Hutchinson. Hello, I'm Mike Hutchinson. I've designed such games as Gaslands and A Billion Suns, uh, and we're here to talk to you about designing better miniature games, um, which is something that we talk about a lot anyway all the time. So uh, if you have seen any of the previous videos, you'll know that we record some of our uh, rambling conversations about games design, um, and we will get rambly and or opinionated on a new topic today. Glenn, what are we going to talk about? Um, so today we're going to talk a bit about uh, list building, mm. um, whether you call it uh, faction generation, um, creating uh, uh, an army list or, or uh, some sort of set of models and statistics to play your game with. Um, and the first sort of conversation, we're going to talk a bit about list building, uh, list building games, why you might want to put list building into your game and what the pros and cons of it are. And then in the second part also, of this conversation... Also referred to uh, around my parts as armchair wargaming. Yes, yes. And I think, and we'll get into this, I think that's one of the main pros of list building within a game is that it, it, it makes your game into a solo playable war game in many mm. ways. <laughs> a lot of solo fun with them. Even if you weren't um, hobbying, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, in the second half of the conversation, we're going to talk about uh, metas. Um, which is a sort of a, a slightly jargony term, but we'll get a bit into that. Um, explain what a meta is and talk about how metas might work in your game, how you might play with them, how they might evolve. Mm. Um, so for the first half of this conversation, I'm going to uh, take a second to, to, to sort of parenthesis out. Um, I've, uh, I was watching another, actually listening to another podcast series on how to design miniatures games. And episode one, talked about list building cracked in as the, this is the sort of because the funny thing about list building is that in the chronology of how a player approaches the game it's one of the first things you do before you play a game and i've come across a few designers where they get a very rough framework of the game and then they launch into the list building because frankly it's quite a lot of fun writing factions and lists and things mm. um what i would say is although it's maybe chronologically an early thing approached by a player and maybe it's a fun thing to go to i would suggest it's not something you approach in designing your game until frankly quite late on in the process yeah i think it's um, pretty much yeah i quite often sketch out very fragmented early sketches of it in order to get the game to the table but optimizing the list building or the faction system uh yeah it's almost the last thing i do once every other part of the game is stable yeah yeah i think i think it's the you need the engine personally i think you need the engine running to understand how one list is going to work even even at all before getting it to the tabletop because mm. you, you're never going to really understand all the ramifications of the list you write until you get it on the table but you need to have some idea of how it's going to clicking with what you've already created it's also it's also worth saying that i quite often write one faction or one army list and then play it against itself and we'll get into some more discussions about mike's obsession with generic army lists but i think it might just be that like that's a natural place to start your design if you're trying to figure out whether you know initiative and movement and shooting and combat works then um making sure that everybody's got exactly the same figures removes that as the source mm. of any discomfort or problem in your system 
Yeah, I mean, I I would argue that, you know, put the system together and make sure it's fun and interesting when everybody has all the same stat lines and all the same equipment, all the same stuff. Because if if it's boring until you dump on the faction system, it's probably not going to be that great of a game, you know, because factions are you know uh army lists or whatever are kind of the 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 puppies in the firework factory it's it's not hard to make them quite exciting and 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 juicy um but they people are going to know that there isn't a a, a strong foundation underneath them so also i think i think i think in like (laughs) to to get slightly technical from my kind of product as product design point of view like they're a thing that keep people retained in the game after they've had a good experience and got them in like it's it's something that if the first game experience isn't isn't interesting or the first couple of game experiences aren't interesting just purely from the mechanics and the way the game folds out then i think you know potentially they never discover the the delighted the delightful depths of your intricate faction system because um yeah it's not the it's not the first thing that you fall in love with in many cases yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, what is it? What end is, is parenthesis? It? <laughs> yeah, yes, end, end parenthesis. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so to, to the start of the conversation proper. So, I mean, when we say a list, build, list building, a list building game, I think the ultimate list building game is ultimately Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, mm. it's, been, it's been said before, and I think it is true, is Warhammer Fantasy Battle is first and foremost a, a list building game. Um, that is actually where most of the time is is physically put into it. That's where I think the 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 vast majority of the battles are won and lost. You know, if you take if you take a hardcore tournament list against a, 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 a fluffy, you know, softer list, there's no game to be played. The you know you you you'll just get meta crushed, and you know it'll. the tabletop is is meaningless at that point um and And in that in in, in that respect in that respect like and obviously we're setting aside the hobby time here like hobby is a different thing but like in terms of gaming time like there's this bunch of as you say like solo wargaming it's an armchair gaming where you're thinking about the game you're running scenarios you're swapping things in and out you've got a calculator and a pencil or you've got an army building program and you are playing the game sort of in a in a weird way um through and in in some regards i I find it quite similar to um you know a card game like magic the gathering or something where you're allowed to construct your own deck where a colossal amount of time is spent switching things in and out umming and ahhing about the stuff and the same thing occurs which is if i go you know if i if i go to play netrunner for example and i've just crammed together a deck from bits and bobs and i play somebody who's playing you know a deck that they've worked really hard on or have got from somewhere uh, from the top tier tournament or something like it's just going to be a totally one way game and there's not going to be any 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 there's not going to be any game there yeah so um i think the first, one of the first questions is you know why why does list building uh, exist within games to 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 the degree that they do because I would I would suggest that the vast majority of skirmish games you come across can have some degree of list building. Um, I think it's it's interesting one. Inquisitor. <laughs> um, I, Warhammer Fantasy Battle is interesting in that because of it because it's a list building game. It's an incredibly it's been an it was an incredibly modular um, product line for Games Workshop. 
Mm. Um, you know, they could they could bring out a book every X many months and keep that game sort of continue. And and the similarly when you say to Magic the Gathering, is they can bring out blocks of you know new releases. options. Yeah, you know, per- perpetually. Um, mm. And I think you know, possibly on that side of um, it being a product thing, list building, you know, when your game gets to a certain level, allows it to be sort of a continuous and modular uh, progression of releases, which, you know, from the player perspective, means that you've got a, a relatively small core engine, but an almost infinite array of choices. The The balance is is sort of, is is ideally locked into that core engine but there's something to come back to again and again and again and again you can mm. you know you can keep not just picking up the new modules but then facing the new modules you know with with what you've already got and so even if you're not keeping up with the releases hopefully it keeps the game um exciting and live for you as the if the meta changes around you it's still then interesting for you because you've got to find out how your thing reacts to the to the incoming uh, wave of, of releasing now, elements. Now, obviously, and I, I, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and you're designing a game, I assume you, like me, are operating in you know an indie way where that you don't have a big sort of production line behind you. And so, I guess the the, the other way that this, like the reason that I find it important from the designs that we've been working on is that it does um, it does provide those different options and those different corners that you can go into. And then there's a question of like how you how you replicate that evolving meta, which we'll get into later. But I think that like and this is not a very Fordian uh, perspective. This is more of a Hutchonian. Um, like the one of the reasons that I find list building such an essential element of uh, even skirmish games is that they are triggers for new hobby loops. So mm-hmm. in the Gaslands community, people will say, okay, I'm going to do a Rutherford team. And they spend a couple of weeks thinking about a Rutherford team and building and painting and playing a few games and honing their list. And they're like, great, now I've done a Rutherford team. I'm going to do a Miyazaki team. And they get new cars and, they, and, like, and, it, and it triggers the cycle. And one of the key reasons for having um, a bunch of extra factions in the Gaslands refueled was not only was their you know, design space still to explore, but it just gave people like, you know, 10 12 runs around the hobby loop um versus mm. the the six that they'd got in the first and that for me is uh, as a designer as as somebody who wants their game to be played multiple times enough that they will people will then tell other people uh, and enjoy it like i do think having enough sort of seats to sit in to view the performance from and wanting to explore all of mm. those seats is 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 critical and and hobby mm. is one of the loops that does that yeah, I mean, so my perspective on the the upsize list building is, I think that there are three main pros to to to, to list to pre building lists. Mm. Uh, the first one is, I think we've alluded alluded to just a minute ago, is it basically allows your game to to be a solo playable experience. Um, it allow if you have a game like I don't know, let's say Malifaux, to a degree of billion sums you have to have another person around the tabletop to do any playing of that game at all, to get any game out of it whatsoever. Mm. Um, something like uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, something like Gaslands, you can do a lot of play. A lot of the things you get out of playing, you can do totally on your own. It makes yep. 
it, it, it makes your game a, a, a one plus player count, which, it, you know, it, it is genuinely, you know, uh, worth doing. It, it, I know people who buy plenty of army books and, and games that they know nobody else is going to play and they just don't care because they're, they're interested to look through it and play around with the, the list building, the options basically on their own. Mm. Um, I think the second thing that it does uh, that I think does not forget investigated is that by allowing you to prep out an army uh, or a list and know what you want to do with it, create a, a piloting guide, it saves a lot of early analysis paralysis in games, funnily enough, because a lot of the time um, in large games, before anything's really started landing, if you're just given an army and you put it on the table, knowing what to do on the first turn is genuinely really hard. And often you'll see people who, like at um, conventions, I'll, I'll run a, a game with people, and on the first turn they'll just go, well, I'll just do this to see what happens. I'll, mm. I'll just move forward. I'll just shoot this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just do what, what phase is it? The movement phase? All right, I'll move forward to that. And if you've got an army list that has certain goals, certain intentions, it, it makes that first rather aimless, floaty turn a, a lot quicker and a lot more concrete because people can go, right, I know what my army needs to do. It needs to get that guy over there and that guy over there. He needs to get this spell pre-cast onto that unit before it gets hit by somebody. And, and I, so I think that's one of the strengths of um, pre-building a list is it gives something somebody conc something concrete to bite into before the, the models start falling. Do you think that that's a benefit because the players feel more excited and engaged or do you think that's a benefit because like it speeds up play and it means that there's less wasted minutes? I I think both those things. I mm. think that having a player when you've got a list and you want to see it start humming you're like oh I can't wait to get this new list going it's going to be so badass it does this thing that combos with that thing and then he'll go because another it's it's, it's interesting because another way of solving that design challenge of people not really knowing what to do initially is to provide like the way that Gaslands does this is it says in the race scenario, like drive in that direction towards that gate. Like it doesn't matter what any of your stuff does. If you're heading in that direction, you're probably doing the right thing. So I think there's a, there's, there's a, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's more true in skirmish games, but I think there's, there's additional ways to think about that uh, challenge. No, 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 do, to, totally. And if you've got a set of objectives, um, that's another way of telling somebody what, what the story is they're going to achieve. And I think games like Malifaux, it's especially because they give you the sort of open at the table list building, they give you a quite involved set of objectives to save you that sort of, I, I, don't, I don't know, there's too many options, I don't know what to do. And I think it's why uh, A Billion Sons needs quite an involved uh, an intricate um, objective system because otherwise you would just sit there on turn one just going I've got all the options I don't know what what to do tell me what the, I'm doing the object yeah. yeah the objective system says okay you're doing this and you're doing that you're doing this doing that closes down your decision space now you need to find the tool that that fits into that gap and, that, and that's so, why that and, and uh, maybe maybe this is the wrong place for this but like there is a relationship between the the, the scenarios the breadth of the scenarios and the list building challenge um mm. and so in gaslands like you will often find us uh online where people are saying like i found a thing that breaks the game this is brilliant and we'll go well that might be brilliant in scenario x but if you read the rules it says build your list then roll the scenario up so you know your one trick pony might kind of r be rubbish if you roll up the wrong scenario which mm. um you know you know particularly the way that 
I've played Fantasy Battle in the past was more like, well, it was always going to be the unending planes of doom. So if if you if you build a list, you know you're going to be playing the unending planes of doom, and so um, you know you won't you won't be the list building system that they have to provide is that much more complicated because it has to contain all of the challenge. Um, whereas mm. Gaslands um, could perhaps sort of take some of that. It didn't have to be completely like. What's the word I'm looking for? It didn't have to completely solve the entire problem or give you an incredible surface area because you could always say like, well, that might be good here, but it's not going to be good there. Yeah, yeah. Insofar as if you if you say to people you've got to randomly select from a set of scenarios that start your game, I don't necessarily need to make sure that absolutely everything is balanced in one of those scenarios because mm. you should only be playing that scenario a sixth of the time. Mm. And if that thing is like, Overcosted in every other scenario, but undercosted in this scenario, that is balance. You know, that mm. is that is a form of balance. But if you play the, the right way, if you play six games with that same list against the same person, you know, randomly selecting the scenarios, and you go, Well, I got absolutely pantsed in five of the scenarios, but that other one where I had my uber duber of woobadoo, I crushed them. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, good for you. You won one out of six. That's that's what we wrote it to do, you know. Mm. Um, I'd say, and I think the third thing about um, list building, and I, I don't know if you have a comment on this because I think we've sort of spoken about it a few times before in design, is that when you have a list that has um, combo combinations and interactions available in it to find, and a player, and, and you as a player realize that you've found the the sort of the optimal uh, version of a particular list. It makes you feel clever, you know, mm. and, you know, game, it's it's good when a game makes you feel clever and it's good when a game makes you feel powerful. Um, and, you know, having a having a well-constructed faction system, a well-constructed list system, where there are combinations that are rewarding without being overpowered, gives you another place where you can make a player feel, have a moment of feeling clever, feeling like they've, that they've sort of done something. And I think and I think we, me and Mike have had conversations here because there is a tricky thing with hiding things within the, the list system. And it's like, oh, this is the, this is the breadcrumb trail you're meant to follow down to the actual way that you're meant to play this list, which, you know, I, I, I you've before expressed distaste for the idea. Well, no, no, no. I mean, the, this is one of the most fascinating things, um, uh, for me about working together is that um, I am uh, I am not a I am not a a consumer of puzzles or a solver of puzzles um, and in some regards what you're describing there is littering the system with puzzles and saying look mm. if you just if you just follow the clues and you you tabulate if you tabulate the stuff correctly and you follow the logic you will find that there is this tasty treat buried under here and players like me will just go smashy smashy oh that didn't work i wonder why let's just smash something else um and from a games design point of view i'm you know i'm much more focused on like the elegance of the evocation of the theme through the mechanics and that alchemy that we've talked about before and i just don't quite have the brain for it so i suppose in terms of this like does your does your game does your game need a list building element like how do you do that list building element great i think in some regards like i came to the realization through 
um, designing uh, the last few games that I actually don't have a particularly keen eye for this. And one of the reasons that I might have been bad at a game like Fantasy Battle is I didn't have a keen eye as a player, and so I don't have a keen eye as a designer. So I suppose if you are the kind of person who loves finding and solving the puzzles in army lists um like maybe you should lean harder into this as a design element and and place puzzles and be like no no i'm gonna actually deliberately focus on that as a as a fun thing um because Mm. you know because maybe you have you have a skill there that you can you can you can gift something to the players i mean i think certainly whether or not you intentionally build in a perfect structure as you're writing the list if you're if you're going to play test, eventually some lists will fall out in your playtesting mm. that are going to be sort of stronger and weaker. And we're not going to talk about balance today. That's a conversation for for another time. But there there is going to be a point where you have to make that decision as to am I going to balance everything out against everything else, or am I going to say, yeah, you know what, some of the lists are more powerful, um, and finding which of those lists are is one of the 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 sweeties that are buried in my game it's one of the we're going to say it's one of the heuristics to playing it or it's or it's the the process of learning the game or it's just purely yeah this is one of the fun moments you'll try out a bunch of lists and whether it's through monkeys on typewriters or through examining a puzzle eventually you'll hit a list that's more powerful than the others and you'll go ha i found one of the ones that's more powerful than the others good on me i you know i'm gonna feel that i've achieved the next level of play in this game and it is worth having levels of play for, for games to get to that seems like a good place to take a quick break i was about to move on to some of the possible cons of of putting a significant level of list building into your game yep um and i think i mean the first one of those is you can end up creating a fairly significant barrier to entry uh, yep. for your players if your game doesn't have uh, a list building and it has a set of you know preset units or whatever it happens to be you, you can pick and play if you've got to sit down and write a list before you start playing then you've got to sit down and you've got to read the entire everybody has to read the entire rule book if you get to something like whammer fantasy battle everybody's got to read several rule books before they start playing you know mm-hmm. i've got to read the main rule book and i've got to read my you know, faction rule book, my army list, my codex, whatever it happens to be. And ideally, I need to have read your army list or codex, wherever it is, in order to get a good game out of it. And that mm. means I've got to read all of the army lists and codexes if I'm just turning up to a pickup game. Um, mm. And I think one of the things, again, like going to conventions and running things like Gaslands um, to, to people who are from a more board game perspective is board gamers, for example, bulk at like a 10 page rule book and then you go with a tabletop miniatures game it's like okay you've got to read this rule book and then you've got to read these rule books and you've got to read uh, these rule books and then you'll be mid-level competitive probably but know? actually j- just just to follow that board game comparison though i suppose like it, for me it's quite interesting that like army list variations from historical wargaming like they exist because you know they hadn't manufactured that tank yet and so you're not allowed to Mm. take it in this thing or like the persians had something different like they had a different makeup of troops whereas quite a lot of the skirmish games that i write and play treat the army list variation much more like factions in a board game where the purpose of the factions is well this is going to emphasize this strategy this is going to emphasize this other strategy this is going to be a blend of the two and in some regards like 
designing an army list system in a tabletop wargaming like you're likely not going there is a tendency i think to sleepwalk into well there are variations simply because i think that lizard men probably didn't have this weapon and so i'm not going to put it into my which i think is a much less interesting um approach than the sort of almost the more board game approach which is okay what am i going to emphasize as a strategy in here or de-emphasize as a strategy in this other list yeah i mean and and again this is possibly a sort of side um sidebar conversation it is interesting that let's say in in fantasy games if i say that there's a dwarf army and an elf army it's probably a list of qualities you can attach to both of those armies in your head immediately mm-hmm. um and a, and a goblin army and and it's like okay i know that the goblin army is going to you know rush with numbers at the other army i know the dwarf army is and probably break easily gonna, yeah and the dwarf army is probably not going to move around an enormous amount it's probably got some sort of heavy machinery of devastation i imagine the elf army is going to be small and elite it's when you're if you're writing your lists to um to 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 create interesting face-offs of okay this army is going to emphasize these qualities and these armies going to emphasize those qualities do educate yourself i think about what every other system has done and what the face-offs are and well, why... not, every, not every other system but yeah well a, 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 a good selection of other systems okay um, i am I, I am actually right in the middle of a massive pile uh, of like because I'm writing, I'm I'm working on Hobgoblin at the moment. That's what's got my go. And so I literally have a pile that's like Kings of War, Gods of Battle, Oathmark, um, uh, 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 Warhammer Apocalypse, Horizon Wars. Um, going through all these different games, trying to like exactly as you say, like analyze what what's going on in those other systems. Because in some regards, like it's a double edged sword. Because like the reason some of those tropes exist is because of Tolkien, because of like genre fiction, because of the things that we naturally associate with those in, in film and literature. And that's mm. good. That's a shorthand that reduces the mental load on the players. They turn up like, okay, elves, cool. Got it. Right. I know to, I know to like hold, hold steady and expect them to try and run around the flanks and what, and shoot me and stuff. Mm. But, um, it's also an opportunity to disrupt that and be like, no, no, actually it's, you know, there's a different challenge here. And I guess that's actually, that's a proper question. Like, the, mm. the the con the con of disrupting players' expectations just because you could like was that worth the energy was that worth the mental load? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I would say don't don't do a, a game where the goblins are elves and the elves are goblins and the dwarves are humans and the humans are dwarves. But consider the you know the possibilities of why it is that the various that there are the set tropes of army lists why they work in the way that they work and consider different ways in in, in playing around with them um you know why why is an army that just rushes with numbers such a standardized trope in in wargaming um and how you might choose to try and do that differently and how you might how you might build your way out of that problem um, I think one of the another con uh, to list building, um, and it's something that I do think be, could could be very present. It's something again we alluded to earlier um, with one of fancy battle is the lost before you arrive at the tabletop situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing more dispiriting, um, I think, as a player than turning up at a tabletop and suddenly realizing before you roll dice one how outclassed you are. 
Um, I'm, ch I'm chuckling because this isn't always just a problem of list building. This can't just be the quality <laughs> of the player. I mean, yeah, but uh, usually you find that out halfway through turn two, at the yeah, very least. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's particularly dispiriting. It, funnily enough... Why are your Chaos Warriors still stuck behind those beastmen, Mike? What are they doing there? They're not... That's like, that's like a third of your army. What is it doing there? <laughs> I, th I thought you had a plan. Why did you... Like, I assumed you put them behind them because you were going to do a thing. And now we're halfway through the game and they're still just sitting there. I don't Spinning run. <laughs> I just... I'm going to leave them to their own business. They're just a point sink. What do you think? Yeah. Um... Uh, funnily enough, it's like if you're that outclassed, you pro might not even know it. It's when you know full well that you've taken a fluffy, right. silly, fun list to what you thought was a, a fun thing, and you see something else hit the table on the other side of you, and you realize this is somebody who, hopefully, to give them credit, is like practicing for a tournament, and that's why they're bringing it to a club mm. pickup game. And then you just look across the table and go, oh, Oh God, no! I don't want. I know that I've not bought a list to 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 play against this machine. I know what I know what it does. I can even tell you what your, you know, what your piloting is going to yeah. be. Shall I? I tell you. Shall I go oh. back around the table and do your your turn for you? Because I know what you're going to do, and I know what? you're going to slaughter me. You know, um, mm. yeah, yeah. That that can, that that can be an issue. Um, and is that know, is that? So I guess. An interesting question is, is that the mark of a effective list building system that that scenario, that disparate disparation can exist? Like, is that a good faction system or is that a bad, is that a design problem that needs resolving? Because I can kind of see arguments both ways. Like if, if you can't design a, a list so sharp that you can literally cut onions with it, then is there really an interesting enough challenge there? Or is that, or rather, I mean is that the epitome of a challenge? I, I think, I mean, you, you, you've you talked about the social convention of, of playing war games. And, uh, you know, I think hopefully if you've got a game with enough depth and weight, it's going to have distinctly different sort of categories of play. Mm. And I think part, you know, an important part of the social convention is hopefully players knowing that I know what a tournament list is in Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Battle and I won't bring it to a friendly club night. Because mm. it's it's just it's no fun for me and it's no fun for the other person. Um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, it's a sign of the richness of your game if there can be that disparity from one list. To right, another. and then and then it, and then, as you say, it's on the players to resolve that situation. That's not a design issue with your game. That's a that's a social contracting issue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, if they've written a, a sort of laser sharp tournament list, they know it's a laser sharp tournament list, and they know. The, the, the problem is the player who knows they've created a laser sharp tournament list and knows that they're taking it to a, a fun, relaxed, casual club night and knows that they're going to just end up spending the evening kicking through pudding and being entirely happy that, that that's the situation. But yeah, I, I personally, I, I, I think that where that, that is a, a problem when it, when it occurs because of the depth and weight of, uh, and breadth of your game, it's a social problem. When it occurs because the army lists are just a bit poorly written, that's your problem. Um, if, it, if it occurs with relatively few options and some lists are just, there's just no way you can make a certain list competitive and nothing in the, the game tells you, oh, this is just a silly list, you know, and then you take it to the tabletop and it turns out that you just get pantsed um, because the other person just took the obvious choices on their own list and didn't know and had no way of knowing that they were bringing 
uh, a far more powerful list than you. That's, I think, when it, when it's going to start ruining problems and it's going to make things unfun for both people. Yeah, totally. Uh, so we, you talked about the you talked about the cons there. So what? So I guess the question is, like, when when would you not have an army designing or forced sort of list building thing in your game and you know what would you have instead because i think actually when you look across the games on our shelves a huge proportion of them do have a list building element in them mm. um well, i think that and i think the last con and the biggest con and again it's one that i think referred to earlier is mm. that list building reduces the value of the tabletop play and i think it's something that's become um and you know, and I, do, I do think it's worth sort of dipping our toes into this part of the conversation here. It's become something that's become more and more significant with the internet, with net lists, and the availability of just picking up a, a, a top play tournament list and a piloting guide, and and just just using that, knowing almost zero about the game, and turning up with an incredibly finely honed and brutal list, and then playing it by somebody else's set of instructions so the other person's basically not playing you they're playing you know one of the top tier tournament players in the world um and the value to not having list building in your game um the value of it in something like a billion sons uh, and malifaux is that that if that can happen it's incredibly hard to 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 be able to to just give somebody a, a cheat sheet for those games mm. Um, it means that they're games that have to be played at the tabletop. They have to be engaged with in the present. There's no chance you're going to end up playing some 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 guy on a forum, you know, a million miles away, who's built the perfect list that, that's essentially foolproof. You know, you're going to be playing the the person sat across the table from you, um, and the interaction is therefore going to be going to be real, and it's all going to happen there in front of you and it's not going to be who did the most homework and it's not going to be who has the best google food to find the most up-to-date killer list um and i think this is we, we talked about this you know a, a fair bit during the billion suns design process but i think this is another place where like m making callbacks to board game faction systems is or, or board games is is useful because like i I can't think of a board game off the top of my head. I'm sure there is one where you design your playing pieces before you come to the beginning of that game. Like you pick the meeples that you need or you design your, you know, there's, pro there's probably some dungeon crawlers where that's, that's maybe not true, but in general, like you come to the table with some known set of resources, whether they're, whether they're symmetrical or asymmetrical. And then it's all about that table play. And it's all about what happens at the table and, and, and how you spot the opportunities and how you play those play those odds or play those um kind of strategies out and yeah and i think that that's like by removing as you say by removing the the list building thing you kind of end up with that question of like is this interesting every time is there a you know is there a set of is there a set of player kind of conversations and player sort of puzzles that they're setting for each other which are interesting each time yeah, and I, and I think I think that's what it boils down to. I think in broad brushstrokes is that the the pros to having a level of list building is it gives your game an off the tabletop depth, mm. and the value to that is that it it gives your players you know ways to tear themselves out and you know uh, can save you from grognard capture and, and and problems like that to some degree. Um, 
but the problem with it is that with the the modern world being the fact that everybody can access everybody else's opinions all the time is that that depth can get processed very very quickly by the the, the world hive mind um and everybody can end up playing a very thin level very very swiftly um and if you don't happen to be on that level you you just have an unfun time and so if your game's depth is based around those lists and those lists have been razor sharp out by the availability of minds that the internet provides you that depth has just disappeared and if your game doesn't have those lists you know, you don't have that depth. You don't have that, oh, I can go and play it for 15 hours at home and uh, and construct all these lists and have all that fun. And you don't have that potential for tearing out, but you also don't have that potential for it razor blading out, you know, through, uh, through the artificial widening of your meta pool that the internet provides. You And it means that the design problems you chose to answer while you were designing are the design problems your players are going to face Whereas sometimes when you're list building, the design problems you're expecting them to face, they're just not going to face because somebody's going to have done that work for them. Mm, and just elim- eliminated that question already. Yeah. And if that original, the point we made way back at the start of the conversation, which is write your game so it's interesting if everybody just has the same forces. If your game's not interesting, if some if everybody has has completely identical forces, and net lists basically razor out your list building to the point where everyone essentially has identical forces. Your game's going to be boring again. Um, you know, the, the, yeah. I guess the only other, the only other, just little dusty corner that I'd just like to blow the cobwebs out of momentarily is that you know we we've both played a fair amount of RPGs, and depending on depending on the the the, the tastes of the system some rpgs can provide quite a lot of randomness in the build of your party or the build of your character and i don't know that there are too many examples i've seen one or two recently um but i don't think there are too many examples of uh, miniature games attempting to give people random forces or or, or shake up like shake up the force construction because that would be another way of getting people to the table really fast would be you know you either give them a preset list or there's only a very small number of options to choose from or you say okay there's a fundal moment where you like you know it's the classic realm of chaos book like you roll up your warband and you find out what they've got and oh that's hilarious our stuff is totally unbalanced but now we'll just have to deal with that Yeah, and I, and I think we 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 have spoken it very. There was a lot of I I think sort of early GW stuff where the vast majority of your, like we say, first edition Blood Bowl, where all of your star players' abilities and qualities were randomly generated, and and your teams were you know by and large randomly generated half the time. Um, and okay, it totally destroyed any ability to cunningly put together a team in a powerful manner, but it did sometimes just completely destroy the experience for you because your star player could basically do nothing apart from fall over at the start of the match and cry about how he's wasted his life. Um, I, I think I think personally, um, it's more interesting to do things like preset lists, um, you know, or yeah, give give people the menu. If you don't want to overwhelm them with choices, there's nothing wrong with like, okay, here are like five heroes, and and that hero does is hero that does blah blah, and he comes with his retinue, and this hero. Well, yeah, with- and 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 they revisited that in Age of Sigmar with the Path to Glory stuff, where they've contained it to 
a a set of options that are they rough out at something equivalent of in fighting strength so you know you might get d6 horrors but only d3 flamers or something mm. and there's a set of yeah. things that you can choose from and I, I i i am kind of you know i'm slightly seduced by that as a as a as a place to give the players like i mean it in that situation in, in age of sigma it's simply an option that they provide which is basically like if we've just turned up and we both have some armies but or we both have some figures but then you know we've both been work all week and we haven't really figured our our lists out i i have this all the time um because i'm you know i have a time poor lifestyle and so i will sit down to play the game and like at the moment i sit down to play the game is the moment that i'm like adding up the final numbers of how many robots i've got um and mm -hmm. so my my list design is is very very last minute and very poorly considered um but that's just that's just the kind of player that i <laughs> i am yeah but i i think, it's, I think and so for me it would work fine in that situation to be like all right it roughs out over a few games that it's there's some randomness in it and and the payoff to that is you know near instant setup mm. and i think there are more and more games that if they don't give you a preset like little retinue for your for your hero they give you a hero that very tightly controls what you're allowed in your retinue mm. so i think um uh Tist of honor has that to a to greater or lesser degree um uh war machine i seem to remember although it doesn't super control it gives you those sort of list where it says oh you'll get bonuses if you take these guys and so it means that there are certain that lists that are just automatically better and so you may as well just take those lists and there's there's a lot of offspray rule systems that are like that which is like you know you choose your faction then you just get a small very small pool of options um we're going to sign off on this conversation and uh, the next one we're going to have a little chat about uh metas which we've repeatedly uh, thrown around as a term in this conversation alluded to and we're going to get into a bit of a, a bit more of a dive on what it is what it means to your game um what you can do about it how you can play around with it glenn we're going to talk about what is what is a meta what does that word even mean how does how do metas grow how do they run out of steam how do they become stale what can you do about it indeed um so for those who aren't familiar with the term uh, meta is literally the, the the thing beyond the thing. So in relation to games, the meta game is the game beyond the game. So an example might be... Like Thundercats. Like, uh, that's the site beyond the site, I think. Yeah. Uh, but so, for example... Meta site. <laughs> meta, meta, that would, yeah, site beyond site would be meta site. But so, uh, so like in poker... Um, there's a system where you have three betting and then four betting and the way in which whether or not you three bet or four bet is part of the metagame of poker. Um, to a degree, card counting in blackjack is part of the metagame of blackjack. There's no part of the rules of blackjack that talk about, suggest or imply that card counting is the thing you may or may not want to do. But once you understand the way that blackjack works you realize that card counting is invariably very powerful and that's that's what a meta game is so um within the context of uh miniature skirmish games and particularly list building games the meta is the um the the group of lists and the interaction of lists that build up around your game and the way they interact with somebody uh, with each other so um on a broad sort of scale if you had a game where you've got a sort of rock, paper, scissors relationship in the game, and then you imagine that the first tournament that ever gets played of your game, because the rocks are sexy and the miniatures from all the rocks look great and, and they've got great background, 90% of people take rocks. 
Well, the way you wrote the game is that they each have a 33% chance of victory. Um, so it's all very nicely balanced. Then if 90% of people take rock, paper is an absolute boss of an army. And, it, and if you've taken paper, you're going to dominate the tournaments. So in the second tournament, oh, everyone turns up with paper because paper bossed the last tournament. And so scissors becomes a, and that's the, the, the basic of, uh, of, a, of a meta system. Um, somebody brings something along which upsets the balance of the way maybe the game was imagined. And so the way it interacts with the other lists becomes sort of rolling. And a healthy meta is a good thing for a game. It, 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 it keeps it evolving. Um, it, it keeps people interested. You've got to, or someone comes out with a new meta-breaking list, and so def define that. Define a healthy meta. Then I think I, I have my definition of it, but you, you just use that phrase. What does that mean to you? So, so I, th I think a, a healthy meta is one that I mean, the the, the, the sort of terms you'll you'll hear are things like a, a stagnant meta um, being a bad one and an evolving meta being a good one. I think a, a good meta is one where whatever the, 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 the perceived best lists are or the factually best lists are, is constantly changing and evolving. And there's a, there's a constantly rolling set of questions so that the new list turns up, which is the awesome game-breaking mega list, and then there are answers to that question that's being asked. That I think is a is a healthy meta, and um, I think critic critically, this is in the perception of the players, nothing to mm. do with the designer. Like the designer has their own internal, I can see all the cards view on this, but there's what is the public perception of that? Yeah, like strongest um, thing. Yeah, and I think, and this is this ends up being a question about how your game is going to evolve, and this isn't going to be something that most people who are or indeed is it is it going to evolve like yeah or, I mean, or always... yeah it, through what mechanisms will it evolve because because it might be that you release a game and it's a single thing and it never gets an update but like that could still have a healthy meta for a period of time absolutely i mean it, it could have a healthy meta for you know for for any given period of time and it depends on the the, the way it's been built i mean it a lot of this is going to depend on the resources you have and the way you reach out to your, to your customer base or, you know, or your, your players, your fans. So, I mean, you know, an example of this at the moment is, um, is X-Wing, uh, mm. X-Wing second edition, where all the points values on all the ships are linked to a constantly evolving uh, digital database. And they're constantly tweaking the values dependent upon tournament metas. Um, so when a certain list becomes defined as being the dominant list, like give the numbers a, a little tweak, a little twitch around, and they they can constantly throw up, a, you know, dust around the meta and constantly um, chuck out static on it um, and keep the, um, the the variation between players moving and evolving and keep everybody off balance because of that. Now, the vast majority of game designers are not going to have anything like the resources to, to achieve something like that. I argue, I'm going to argue against that. So I am working on something for Hobgoblin, which I think is an utterly trivial solution to this problem. So assuming that all of your players have access to the internet, then um, I'm making a spreadsheet, a Google spreadsheet that has uh, a simple army list 
obelisk builder, and it didn't even have to be a simple obelisk builder. It could literally just be a, a sheet of paper. Um, but like, there'll be some points values in the published rule book, wherever that ends up being. And then I will write in it, by the way, um, by agreement of both players, like the, um, the, the up-to-date points values are always linked over here. Go to, you know, hobgoblin game.com and you will find the spreadsheet and it takes no effort for me to you know in concert with some play testers or in concert with the community to just update the numbers here and say like the source of truth is always this online source so i think that i think that it's actually super super achievable for all indie games designers and they should consider it because i, I think it's i think it's totally feasible and wh whether or not whether or not it's a desirable thing for your community who might get confused or be disappointed that things have changed that is like that's part of that's part of this conversation about how do you evolve the meta and what's a what's a yeah. good what's a good what's 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 a evolving meta which people are enjoying the process of evolution versus like it's storms and floods and ice age mm -hmm. and all kinds of chaos yeah and, and i and I think in reference to the resources I was talking about there is, I think the relevant resources that Fantasy Flight games have are hundreds of gamers and yeah, data know, points, hundreds, hundreds of tournaments with hundreds of gamers, thousands of data points, and the ability to uh, to analyze in you know a, a constantly ongoing fashion all of that data. I'm not saying that the 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 app is the is the is the real sort of uh, um resource sync there i think keeping it you know keeping it working is probably the resource sync that most people aren't necessarily going to have access to and like you say the data points um are going to be the thing that's very tough and in relation to metas generally um i think one of the things about a meta is that you can end up with players who find themselves in a big fish small pond situation um when you've got a big game, when you've got an X-Wing or you, or a Warhammer or, or, or wherever it happens to be, the meta links across groups of gamers. Mm. Um, you might have a little group of Magic Gathering players in your local basement, and there might be one player who's like super dom dominant, but he can very quickly go to his local store um, or a local tournament or, or, or an online tournament. You can very easily now go onto, you know, whatever magic arena and find out exactly where your, your particular deck stands within the, the, the wider world. And it, it, it is a sort of a repeatable social phenomenon that people vastly underestimate um, or overestimate their own standing in relation to the, the, the overall standing of the population. Um, you probably won't have a overarching scene that will link together all the little pocket metas of your mm -hmm. game. Um, yeah, Gasland but, certainly doesn't. Yeah, it has a lot of people talking about it, and and what you will hear them say is such and such is totally busted. Everybody in our group takes it and can't beat it, and somebody else will be like, "Well, nobody takes that because it's junk in our meta," um, and there yeah. is no it, there is no overarching sort of source of truth tournament circuit that 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 shakes those things out they just exist yeah. in their own little pocket universes yeah as, as a sort of little little aside one of the um one of the games i put out is a game called moonflight which has four different decks that you can play in this sort of deck builder every single one of the decks has been called vastly overpowered <laughs> by at least one different person <laughs> As they can't Perfect. all be vastly overpowered, <laughs> you know. What I want to do is get all those people together in the same room, 
and but that but that that's that is that can be the issue with the meta is that you know if one person is very good with one particular part of your game and then they play a particular group and nobody else in that group has the desire or the chops where it happens to be to take that on and go right yeah that was very powerful i'm gonna break you you mm. know and instead everybody else in the group goes well that's very powerful i'm doing that um you very you you get a, a big fish small pond situation very well, very quickly and, and actually that there's and then, then then there's an even worse outcome there which is um they go oh that's a very powerful list this game seems to have been solved let's go and play something else and i think that one of the one of the scariest things from my perspective is like just people getting turned off by the fact that your game doesn't have enough you know doesn't have enough oomph in it and a, and a poor meta can very quickly just drive a, a group of people who are playing who are interested in playing it down the club will just be like we'll just be turned off and they'll just be like ah oh, well okay fine like i was i was excited about playing the goblins but the goblins seem to be absolutely terrible so i'm not really excited mm. let's go play something else yeah i mean i mean gaslands i think was super lucky in that it had although it doesn't have a massive society it has a very active uh, mm. community and personally, I, I, it was very gratifying in the first months and even years of when Gaslands came out of seeing people work their way down the certain meta paths that there were. There were sort of mm. things of, oh, have you, have you seen this thing? It's amazing. This is very dominant. And, and sort of sitting back there watching conversation going, oh, they, have, they haven't found the next level of the meta. What is going to be? So? And then somebody finds the yeah. response to that. And it was so gratifying to see somebody go, oh, yeah, that is good. But if you do this... And, and it, I, I think linking back to the list building we were talking about before is in real time, I, I did get the experience of watching people go Solve down, your maze. Go, go, yeah, go down the various points of the paths and, and find the responses. And it, it, was, it, was a, it was a very gratifying experience to, to, to actually to, to go through. Um, if you ever get the opportunity, it's, it's great fun. Um, but yeah, it, it is tough when people end up in their little sort of pocket universes or, or, of a given part of your meta. And it's very hard to know what to do there. Because what, what you want to do is to go onto the forum and shout at them, no, that is a super beatable team. This is, do this with this team and beat it. And then there, but you're, you know, you're, you're onto a sort of um, a hiding, hiding to nothing if you attempt that. Um, they're going to have to, dig their way out of that hole um yes just just like toddlers they're just gonna have to learn that 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 hurts they just have to figure it out themselves this is this is the big question that i think metas create for a designer and it's why it, it refers back to the list building we were just talking about is that metas and and the possible stagnancy of your meta is one of the big cons against putting in factions lists um structures that that can be built and exploited throughout your game um because without those structures your game can't create a dominant meta and therefore can't become stagnant within its meta maybe um, maybe but it goes back to that other con about the longevity of it like if there aren't multiple paths to explore then you know, I mean, I don't 100% believe this, but like, if there aren't multiple factions to explore, like, once you as a group of players have sort of established who's best at this game, then that person is best at that game, and that, like, you you know, you you can keep playing it, but that person will probably, you know, 
probably come out on top or or whatnot. Um, but like the reason I don't entirely believe that is like you know I have played a game like Settlers of Catan eighty five thousand times, and that doesn't have a faction system. It doesn't need one. And so again, it goes back to like that decision about is there enough play in my actual mechanical system at the tabletop versus I mean because I, I worry about this with um a billion sons is that once you've been through the core systems contracts in the book and you kind of explored them and you figured out how you like to use the resources in front of you and how you have you know figured out the solutions for yourself like do you just reach a point where it'd be like well you know at this point i would probably switch factions and then i would re re-explore the game from a different angle and that option isn't available to you or, or not as strongly i mean it's it's been designed a little bit in there but it's it's nowhere near as strong as you know i was playing dwarfs now i want to play goblins we'll be back in just a second so the 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 theory of crognard capture is that you put out a game you put out first edition of your game and eventually everybody falls out into a set of tiers. So you get the people that beat 90% of people and you get the people who are beaten by 90% of people. And eventually, if you discover that... Eventually they form by... a podcast. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> if, if a player discovers that they are beaten by 99% of people, they stop playing that game. And that means that the people who are beaten by 98% of people are now beaten by 99% of people. So they stop playing your game. And that means the people who were, and so on, where as, as the people who get trounced by everyone drop off the bottom mm -hmm. of the list, the next tier is getting trounced by everybody. They no longer have their whipping boy. And so they drop off as well. And eventually, um, just as you're about to write the second edition of your game, all that's left is this sort of, grognard rump um who were the 20 percent of the of the original games market and then you go back to your audience and you say right what needs to be in this game and your second edition ends up being like snakes on a plane or something that's been written by people who thought that they knew what they wanted and then you put it out there and the first edition got you know a hundred people and the second edition gets 20 people because the other 80 people aren't interested in a game which is built for the people who they aren't anyway because if they were they would have still be playing your game anyway and in order to make your game ongoing you've got to appeal more and more to a narrower and narrower population of people until you've got a game that's incredibly baroque in order to be able to satisfy and 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 maintain and capture an incredibly narrow percentage of of players rather than managing to keep it sort of broad by recapturing those people that you lost because they got pantsed in, during during the play of the first edition um and i think that's one of the things again i think is interesting in relation to the way that they've done um x-wing second edition because there's a degree to which it's incredibly appealing to, to the hardcore Grognard players. The, 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 the points of everything is constantly moderated by the results of the top tournament players in the world. On the other hand, it has a constantly evolving recapturing meta. Everything is constantly changing. So if you were beaten last week, you don't know you're going to get beaten next week. You don't know that you're going to get beaten the week after. You don't have mm. to go, well, look, geez, you thrashed me nine games out of 10. There's no point playing the 10th game because you get to go, 
it's everything is, everything's changing mm. maybe those build tweaks have suddenly made my list that i played those last nine games competitive and has has sucked out the juice of your clever clogs you know tournament the end of play and so i i do wonder whether they've managed to square the circle a little bit with that in in it might be something that appeals to both groups there are two questions i think really there's how do you build a relatively resilient meta within a game that you don't intend to or don't want to require a necessity of ongoing evolution for and if you do want to constantly evolve your game what are effective ways you can allow it to to evolve um, and grow and i think um irritatingly i'm going to go to the second of those questions first because i think it's something that that enrages um, me that's that's the main reason i did it mm. um but the other reason i did it is i think it's something that we just mentioned a minute ago and um i think the the single strongest um and most effective way of keeping your meta relatively fresh is to allow cross-pollination between groups of players um and it is something that you can do by reaching out to your community and coordinating them to a certain degree um now, I mean, that probably sounds like an ironic solution, given my previous statements about netlisting. Mm. I think that if your community becomes very large and very committed, then over-coordination of them throw, possibly throws well, it's, other issues. It's a, fa- it's a factor of the depth of your met the depth of your army list system and the size of your community and i think you know through sheer good luck gasland ended up with a relatively good balance between you know there's some depth in that system but there weren't so many there were enough players to dig to go digging but there weren't so many players that it just got it just got minced straight away yeah i mean i think i think in truth if you have a large enough community and a large enough uh, number of players to um genuinely mash through any kind a system with any kind of depth to it at all then that's a bit of a champagne problem you know what i mean if you if you've got that many players out <laughs> yeah. there that, obsessively yeah. we're, we're, your game yeah we're, we're not going to have this problem um <laughs> yeah very few yeah, people then it, are then it's then it's a sort of yeah crimea river situation where it's like oh god my game did so well the people just well, you know well no but it. again but again it's a factor between these two things so if you if you design if you design too little as uh, um a depth into it and then it gets solved really quickly then you know there are a couple of games that have gone down the toilet because they have been solved and yeah that's yeah. that's a dirty word in wargaming yeah, and I and I and I think and I think the core question there, probably for the majority of people who are looking at, uh, at this particular set of problems, is what level of depth mm. um, I, I, and sort of uh, resilience and sustainability do I need in order to have a game that has a fundamentally stable meta at the level at which our do you, games do you like genuinely have an answer to that? Because that just doesn't seem like a question that has a feasible answer. I mean, the answer um, is just exactly the right amount. Yeah, the correct amount. Sixteen weapons. That's you need six, <laughs> at least sixteen weapons, but never more than thirty-two. I have no idea how to answer that question. I mean, I mean, I th- I think that the one of the one of the classic answers is that the reason that a lot of games talk about a rock paper scissors system is that rock paper scissors is rather splendidly. It is a rather splendidly self-balancing meta. 
Hmm. You know, everything is a valid choice. Everything, you know, is balanced by everything else. And it keeps rolling around uh, on a certain system. And I'll tell you something else. It's one of the things about Gaslands where the non-two-player system super super valuable in keeping the meta for gaslands rolling and fresh and this is one of the main reasons you should um i think personally strongly consider um having your game supporting more than two players because the thing about gaslands is that you get to have the rock the paper and the scissors on the table at the same time Mm. all being each other's solution to each other's problem um and that that just that made that meta so alive, you know, and continues, I think, to make it so alive, you know, for, yeah, and for it's, such and a and long th- time with so little price. And I think it's because, yeah, that's absolutely right. It's a super good observation. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's because it, it and it seems to be that it's like it it allows um it it like it, it's it softens the like I got absolutely pantsed feeling on the other side of the table. It like it allows you to sort of pass the hurt around. So you've always got a whipping boy. Um, even if you got outclassed on the left, um, you've got the right to, to go after. And so it ends up, I think, softening softening that competitive edge a little bit in that there's always some sort of there's always some there's always some chaos coming from the other direction that you you don't quite have an answer for, even if you've got a game plan and you're you're winning on mm. that. Yeah, because I think I, I I think to get sort of a little analytical on on Gaslands in, in relation to this question is that by having sort of, so in Gaslands in a very general term, there's racers, rammers and shooters. Yep. And, you know, rammers are a problem for shooters because you can't shoot when you've been rammed. Racers are a problem for rammers because you can't ram them when they run away from you. And shooters are a problem for racers because it's really hard to outrun their guns. And so your enemy's enemy is your friend in Gaslands. Um, but the thing about Gaslands that's rather sweet is that the inherent chaos of Gaslands cuts out the other problem to, um, you know, an enemy's enemy is your friend situation in games, which is politics. You mm-hmm. can't really politics too much in Gaslands because, you know, so much madness is going on that it becomes largely pointless. So it has a lot of and I'm going to say through luck more than judgment, I think, on our part for a large point. It has a load of systems. I'm okay with that. that. that inherently, as it turns out, you know, for, throughout the design process, it's been like, oh, that, that's that's lucky. That, that balanced that out really neatly. Oh, look, mm. that self-solves that problem. Um, but I think that um, the, the, the short answer to, to how much of a meta you need to keep your game healthy um is aside from just you know enough is a sufficient amount where a player picks up a list puts together a a reasonably obvious first set of choices and doesn't answer all the questions that are to be asked um and if you can do that to just literally one degree for for each list you have a surprisingly rich meta because and just just have- to be just to be clear on what on what you've said there so i i build a racing team and i've figured out how to get away from the shooting team but i haven't figured out how to deal with those rammers and when i get stuffed in a pack full of rammers i'm like ah oh, my list isn't finished it needs to be improved yeah 
and and as soon as as soon as that happens you go okay well i've got to go off and i've got to get answer this other question and that's inherently your sort of your second step meta because at that point they're, they're going back and they're looking into the question and as soon as they do that it means that everybody else can do that as well because once they answer the question of the rammers then the rammers have got the question of how to answer the question that was asked by the racer answering the question of the rammers. interesting and then, and then so if they ask if they've asked the question the first time then it becomes in some way um you know recursive and so as long as you get them to ask one question then you've hopefully got a snowball effect i i think yeah i think the secret is to to teach your players that it's worth looking for the answer to the question how do i beat how do i solve what just happened to me mm. because to, to my mind um the big problem with stagnant metas is that they're essentially sort of learned helplessness within a given sort of pool of players where you play a game, a, a certain thing breaks you and you just go, there's, there's no point looking for the answer. There won't be an answer. That was, that was too dominant. It was too good. The game is broken. Time to walk away. And that's really interesting because, because the way that you described it there, I think is, is, is critical. It's like there's a, there's a moment of a broken trust or a broken contract between the player and the designer, and this happens a lot with GW games. Like we've just been, we've just taught, we've been taught by ourselves and our community to do it. Like we just go, we just go. Oh well, I have observed something broken. I don't trust that the designers care about that problem, so I'm just going to walk away from the game because I assume it's just it's just a load of junk. Um, mm. Rather than having a situation where you've built enough trust. Um, in your community to be like, oh, that was incredibly powerful. I bet they've hidden the answer somewhere for that. And and I, you know, again, that might be more luck with Gaslands than than anything. But well, I think that so the so the thing that I think the way that Gaslands does it is that you have the 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 sponsor system, and the sponsors lay out a little trail for you. They say, okay, this sponsor does this, and it does that, and it it does this, and that gives your players. A set of clues to go. Oh, okay. If my if the if the thing that I've just gotten because I put on this sponsor hat does X, presumably if I follow that down, oh, okay. There's the thing that buffs with X, and there's the thing that chains with X. That's my initial T because I've mm. been given the clues and I followed the little path down and boom. And then what you do is is you make sure that the the route one sort of path you follow from the clues you were given with that sort of the hero character has a has a question has a definitely has a question that will definitely get asked and has a non-obvious but not incredibly obscure and esoteric answer and i and i know that's a sort of like well that that sounds a a, a sort of difficult needle to thread but if you can do that just once and you can go, okay, most people will go down this path. Once most people have gone down this path, they'll get pantsed by this thing and they'll go, oh, how do I solve it? Oh, that, that, that'll solve it. Brilliant. I'll do that. Once I think, once they've gone through that process once, once they've learned that they are not helpless against something that absolutely mashes them, then I think you you set up the the sort of virtuous circle for your players, and by and large, from that point onwards, whenever they get pantsed, I think that they will 
put up a put up an effort and a fight to go back to the book and go there's probably something in here and eventually sometimes some people will find that there is an answer and every time that someone finds there isn't an answer or they can't find the answer that's one degree towards the stagnification of your meta Mm. um and, and when there comes a point where nobody can find any answers to a very limited number of, of lists your meta has gone stagnant and and you're in potentially serious trouble unless mm. those few lists are just incredibly fun and everyone just loves playing against each other and your game has simply become stable mm. which isn't the same as being solved <laughs> Um, but puts me in mind of the Battle of Little Bighorn, which uh, long-time <laughs> listeners will remember uh, is my <laughs> first war game that I ever played, which is a very, very old board game. That has two set lists. The Cowboys have, like, Custer's always got his little guys. The Indians have always got their, their little guys. I love playing that over and over again. Like, it's just, it's set up, the scenario's right, you know, the forces are right. So I guess one question that I really want to dig into just for a moment here is, is this achievable... Um, set of options that everybody gets access to, in your opinion? I mean, I, I think certainly, so long as you have, in my opinion, I think as long as you have enough limitations on what can be taken by a given player, then you should inherently have, I mean, let's say it's a fantasy game, you're inherently going to have close combat and you're going to have shooting mm. and you're going to have, you know, um, fast moving things like say for an example and generally the shooting is going to be quite good against the close combat because it's going to wear it down as it comes across the field but it's going to be very weak against the fast moving things and the fast moving things can be very weak against the dedicated close combat things and uh, and so on and so forth and so long as you can't take all of them all of the time yeah um you i think you can have that in a single set of options that everyone has access to um i just think that building in i personally think that faction lists gives you the option to throw out more fun clues for people and more paths and and more of an option to say your the thing you build is going to be unique therefore you're going to have a learning process because of it i think that if you know that not everybody is playing the list that you're taking then Personally, I pre-assume that there's going to be more questions to, to answer because I'm taking a fork while you've got a knife. Mm. And I know, therefore, that there's going to be weird questions. I'm going to have to answer to figure out how to use my fork to, to flick the knife out of your hand and then stab you in the eye with it. Yeah, because uh, yeah, the problem is, you know, I bring an army list that's... Uh, I bring an army list, you bring an army list, you win, and I'm like, oh, well, I'll just take that one then. And then I turn up with the same army next time. And I feel like, um, you know, in, in, in Hobgoblin at the moment, there are, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find what's the right um, number of available options so that you in no way can take everything. Um, And so there's always feels like there's more options, but at the same time, I'm trying to optimize the playtime, so I don't want there to be too many. But then at the same time, I've got just a couple of moments of decision in... I mean, every every army list is essentially going to be a set of decisions because you've got a whole a la carte menu and you could go from all missile troops to all monsters and everything in between. But I also find like one clue that I'm leaving people is there's a set of spell 
uh, schools and they will give you a set of three spells and that will emphasize a certain kind of play like here's the movement trickery thing here's the hexing combat uh, people one here's the like buffing your guys one and that will just sort of provide a little bit of a clue which is like oh if i make a kind of necromancy uh healing and bringing new units that i probably need this blend of things to to emphasize that um and that's like the absolute minimum faction system even though you can all take the same sp spells you don't have to you know be a necromancer to take the to take the healing people up spells yeah i i, I think the, the 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 point to look at here is is there is a there's a little sort of psychological issue going on mm. and one of the things is that people will choose to protect their self-image um, when something occurs. And so they take a particular list in a particular game, they get totally pantsed, and they now have two choices. They can either decide that they're morons or the game is broken. Hmm. And the natural psychological decision is that the game is broken because I know I'm not a moron, you know? Hmm. Um, so I'll protect my own self-image. I'll decide that your game is broken and, and I'll walk away. Now, if you give people faction lists, they can go well, this faction just isn't inherently suited to the thing I happen to play. And I'll just have to apply my super brain to making this faction that isn't suited to beating that faction, beat that faction. And so I can protect myself a little bit and then mm. go back in and rewrite the list and go, ha ha ha, I'm so brilliant. And I'm beating the faction that's meant to beat my one, even though it's meant to beat my one. Mm. If you give everybody a, a generic list and then they get absolutely pantsed, it's like, well, they had exactly the same choice as I did. And I looked at the same thing they did. I know, I these, a... these white chess pieces, man, they're just overpowered. <laughs> and I made a set of choices that got me absolutely wazzocked. I And I know that I'm a smart cookie and I know that I made really smart choices. So evidently this, this thing's broken, you know, walk away. Um, and again, I, and I think that giving things that, don't look like each other um give you extra ways to give yourself a little bit of a ego buffering when things go completely against you mm. um and so i think that's another way that allows you to to, to feed back into the meta because it gives people a reason to go back you know and, and try again because the the answer to the question isn't either i'm dumb or your game's broken the answer can be your game has a rock, paper, scissors situation. And I was holding a rock when he had paper. And what I'm going to have to do instead is go away and sharpen my rock up, you know, and so I can defeat both scissors and paper. Um, and whether or not that's true, as long as you can let people think that that's the situation, you'll, you'll give them a reason to keep your meta healthy for, for another, another round of, of, of list building. What an interesting conversation, Glenn. You've thought a lot about this, a lot more than I have, and it and it really does show in in the way in when we work together. Um, <laughs> is there anything else on your on your list of uh, of things that we ought to talk about on the podcast? Um, I, I think I think in, for this particular conversation, I think we've given given that a good a good rollover. I think the thing that we need to really talk about on this subject is balancing and the the illusion of balance and the presence of balance. But that is. That is a chat for another day. I think I think we've we've talked sufficiently about metas in this build. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everyone. So yes, thank you very much, everybody. If you've stuck with us this long, I assume you found some part of what we talked about here interesting. If you did, uh give us a like and subscribe. Um, we love to see them. Uh if you didn't, or if you just have opinions on on metas, on how to keep them healthy, interesting metas, stale metas, 
metas that suck, metas that are brilliant, drop us a comment in the comment section. Um, we have lots of opinions about uh, different systems and where their metas have gone and, you know... Uh, and, and why we changed slimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yes, there are definitely opinions as to why we changed slimes and other people's opinions about whether we should have changed slimes. And if you'd like to have that conversation, hit us up in the comments section. We might not have it, but, it, we, you know, it'd be, you can always ask us. <laughs> we'll always take that bait. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, so hit us up in the comments section. Hit us up on social media. Talk to us um, in whichever way you can get a hold of us. Um, for now, though, we're going to sign off on this particular rule of carnage, and we'll see you next time. So... Bye-bye. 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 Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.